0: You're listening to What is Black, the parenting podcast where we address issues important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and adolescents. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline DuJay. So thank you for joining us for another episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Puzzle Huddle. Puzzle Huddle creates puzzles that feature diverse Black characters. They believe that when children play with toys that feature images that look like them, they have the opportunity to be affirmed and engage in imaginative play in a very personal way. And just in time for the holidays, Puzzle Huddle has made Oprah's favorite things gift 2020 gift guide. So pick up your puzzle today at puzzlehuddle.com. If you're looking for another great gift suggestion for this holiday season, check out my new middle grade novel, Learning to Love All of Me, available in paperback and ebook. Twelve-year-old Sydney Taylor is used to people questioning if she's white because of her light skin and curly hair. After all, no one else in her family looks like her. Despite her physical appearance, Sydney has always known she's black naturally because her family is black. But lately she's starting to question her racial identity. From her best friends declaring her hair too white to be braided to a classmate's twisted logic about a racial about a racial slur. Sydney is more confused than ever, so when a sales lady threatens to call the police on her mom because of a dispute about whether Sydney is even her child, Sydney is even more perplexed. But when she finds a mysterious picture that unlocks a forbidden family secret, the truth about Sydney finally begins to emerge as she searches for the answers about her racial identity, Sydney must decide if she can learn to accept and love all that she is. You can pick up your copy today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever you buy books. Welcome to another episode of What is Black podcast. I'm excited again to have another fabulous guest. We're joined today by Dr. Sylvia awusu ansa She's a pediatric emergency medicine physician in the Pittsburgh, um, Pennsylvania area. And during our conversation, she'll talk about the impact of COVID-19 on children, especially children of color. Her work to address health equity and her upcoming memoir. So, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So, let's start. So, welcome, Dr. Wusa Ansa. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Dr. Juge, for having me on oh, your podcast. It is such a pleasure. So, In the intro, I shared that you're an an emergency room physician, a pediatric emergency room physician. So I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit about your work, especially um, given this era of COVID-19.
1: Yes, thank you. So uh, I am, as you said, a pediatric emergency medicine physician in the Pittsburgh area. And COVID has you know, changed a lot for a lot of us in what we call ourselves frontline providers. So those of us physicians who deal with COVID upfront, even really before we understood what was going on with COVID and who may or may not be positive. And especially in taking care of children, it's been very hard because in being a pediatrician and being a pediatric emergency medicine physician, one of the key things that we do is interact with our patients, interact with the children, make them feel comfortable, um maybe even play with them entice them distract them and in the era of covid not only do you have to think about your patient safety and the safety of the parents that bring them in their parents but then you have to for me as a mom think about your own family their safety and the potential of you potentially exposing your family to covid because you are on the front line services uh of healthcare and you are on the front line for Potential exposure to COVID. Uh, we also, you know, know unfortunately that healthcare workers um, are at have been at higher risk for having moderate to severe illness from COVID, uh, and we've lost many of our healthcare workers over the past few months. And may they may they rest in peace. So it, it is a scary time for all. When you go into a field where you really really want to help people, make a difference, and change, but then your perspective is somewhat changed to where you feel that. You have to be a little bit selfish as well, in taking care of your own health and preventing spread of infection to your to your own family.
0: It, it makes it a little bit harder to do the work that you do. So you talk about your your role working with children, and many people, you know, I've heard in the news sometimes incorrect information, right, that kids aren't aren't impacted by COVID nineteen, and we know that parents are going to be sending their kids kids to school or will be in the process of either sending their kids to school or virtually learning um, given COVID. So I was just wondering if we could talk a little bit more about that impact that, COVID, that you're seeing COVID-19 has been having on children, and particularly children of color, and how that relates to um, other aspects of um, the family dynamic given given the impact COVID can have on kids.
1: Yes, uh, so we, we have heard and we know now that we call go COVID the great revealer um, when it comes to health disparities and that it's no different for children. And, and what I what I wanna state here is that, that COVID is very real. It's very real for the pediatric population, the adult population, the young adult population, and the elderly population. COVID shows no discrimination on which population that it may hit or who may get sick. And so In turn, what I'm saying is that children are affected by COVID. They are affected by COVID in the way of illness. They are affected by COVID in the way of mental health and having to stay at home and not being able to interact with classmates or friends or um, things of that nature, being cognizant of family members in which they may need to social distance from. So it's kind of taken a holistic effect on children. Children are still, are getting infected with COVID. Many of them, if we look at proportionally, may have mild to moderate illness, but there are a significant number that still have moderate illness that present to our emergency departments that we test for, and even some that need to be hospitalized. Um, In certain regions of the country, those numbers are higher than others. COVID is still affecting our children. Personally, as a pediatric emergency medicine physician, my concern is for the upcoming fall season where we will also be dealing with flu, which very much has not gone away. And so with that, we know that vaccines can help from a community standpoint. And so I'd encourage families to still continue to get flu vaccines as as fall approaches and being cognizant of um, flu as well as COVID and washing our hands, wearing our mask, social distancing, talking to our children about this as well and the importance of helping out not only their own families and themselves, but, but our community
0: as a whole. It's been, it's been crazy the impact it's had on families. And I know you're a mom of, of young children. How have you been... How have you and your family um, been dealing with COVID nineteen and all the the consequences and life changes as a result of COVID nineteen? Yeah, so
1: I have two beautiful daughters, uh, twelve and eight. So, uh, sorry, twelve and four. Excuse me. They are eight years apart. That's why I use the number eight. Quite, <laughs> quite a dichotomy there. Quite two different subsets of schooling right one is in preschool daycare setting and the other one is entering middle school or uh in some places is already middle school and so two two different thought processes there they have been home with me um since march and we have worked with their system in which we know the inner network of of the babysitter and we use masks when we um, are inside we wash our hands frequently now that the weather is nicer, we spend a majority of the time with the kids outside or the babysitter does while I'm doing work. But a, a majority of the time, the kids are home with myself and my husband as we, you know, alternately work from home. Um, my husband is a is is a licensed paramedic but has kind of switched over to doing home improvement type of jobs. Um, and that has allowed for flexibility, uh, whereas the paramedic would not have. So even that has even affected how our you know job situation and careers have looked as I know has affected many many families across across the country. Many who may have lost their jobs completely, let alone even transition to a new job to be more flexible or working from home. So so we have we have you know tried various methods like many families. Um, what I what I do know for my 12 year old that you know, and what I became cognizant of, not only as a pediatrician, as a, the pediatrician and the medicine side of me, but as a mom, you know, and I don't want to let go of that fact is this this takes a mental health uh, effect on our children uh, to be at home, in some cases isolated, um, not being able to interact with friends in the way that they used to, and I'm particularly cognizant of that with my four year old as well, because when you think of preschoolers and kindergartners. The one purpose in life really is to play and interact and learn through touching and feeling and interacting. And with COVID, that's kind of taken away from that. But that being said, COVID is a very serious pandemic with very serious consequences as a sequela. So you, you wanna protect your family on both aspects, which makes it very tough. So I'm trying to find ways to provide outlets for both kids. So for instance, we'll have girls dance night, we'll have dance parties, we'll make up you know uh, certain videos, Um, will make up plays and uh, allow them to be creative. They love to read. Uh, We spent a lot more family time and we become a lot more interconnected with who each other is and is becoming and what our needs may or may not be. Um, I joked earlier during the lockdown, we never spent lunchtime together, right? Because either at work or at school and we had lunch almost every day together, which I thought was a beautiful thing. So trying to pick out the positive within the chaos has been trying to be my focus, you know, for myself, my husband, as well as my kids. And so no different than what anybody else has been dealing with. And, and even more so now with the decision of, you know, going back to school. Now in my region, they have decided online for the next couple of months at the very least, and to kind of stair step their way back. And I'm trying to uh, figure out or brainstorm ways in which I could Help both of my children in the way of mental health. Um, my daughter's daycare reopened a few months ago and seems to be, as as of right now, a well-oiled machine. I kind of wanted to feel that out as a mother, and as a pediatrician, knowing a lot, um, and so I I feel comfortable at this stage in time to send her back to daycare, but with a watchful eye. So that's kind of that's kind of where we are as a family.
0: You know, like you said, I think what you know what you bring to the table not only at you know your experience with it, being a pediatric um, emergency medicine physician is the fact that you're also a mom right so you get you get to see you know multiple sides of how this how this pandemic is a, is affecting you know families and children which I you know which I think is a great which is a great perspective to bring to this episode but it's interesting to you know over the summer you know We've heard people say you know we're dealing with two pandemics now not only the pandemic of COVID-19 but also the pandemic of racism and just wanted to to touch a little bit about that as well african-american female physician
1: there's only two percent of us believe it or not about two i think two to four percent of us in the workforce i believe it's about two percent in the physician tired physician workforce because um out of out of all active physicians um, african-americans in total make five percent and we are declining in the number of African-American male physicians that we were recruiting. So there is a small pool of us. I am of West African origin. My parents both were born and raised in Ghana, West Africa, and came over here. So I'm first generation used to joke African-American. And and so in growing up that way, in, in dealing with what we are what we are opening up our eyes to see. I wouldn't say this pandemic of uh, anti-Black of racism is new. We go back to the 1600s or way before that. So it's not a new thing. Again, the murder of George Floyd and COVID has, has kind of opened up our eyes once again and maybe opened up our ears to listen, to see the stories that have already happened and are continuing to happen. And, and so, so growing up, identified personally with a lot of racism uh, I was told you know that I was that I couldn't get into med school because I was black, and I was also told that I got into med school because I was black. you know two 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 different statements, but both you know with racial connotations, both racist statements, right? Like you got in because of, you know because of fervent action and it was a token service to you or you can't get in because you're not you're just not smart enough, you're of that race that's deemed to so inferior. In, in coming of age, too, for myself, I realized that even within the community, even within the African community, African, you know, and African-American community, there are some prejudices as well. And that a lot of uh, immigrants see African-Americans as a lot of Caucasians or whites see African-Americans to some degree. And so growing up, I had to wrestle with both sides of that because I was born and raised in the United States of America. But my parents were from West Africa and I had strong African roots. And I knew exactly where my roots were. I spent high school in Namibia, Southwest Africa and witnessed Nelson Mandela becoming the first uh, black African head of state for that country. And so there were a lot of things that's, and, you know, and then witnessing Obama, President Obama spoke at my medical school graduation as a senator and then became president. So I witnessed a lot of these positive aspects um, of what African-Americans can do in the waves of change. But I also, you know, for majority of my life, witnessed the detriment of racism on a personal level. And so I worked in in, in the D.C. area where I was. Now I see as I feel privileged where I was in a community, even though there's a small pool of us in the way of underrepresented in medicine, underrepresented physicians in medicine. I worked at a hospital where I saw a lot of people that looked like me. Um, above me and as trainees. So I saw faculty members that looked like me, administrators that looked like me, saw medical students coming up that looked like me, high school students. When I came to the Pittsburgh region, it was very starking, the contrast between where I'd come from and where I'd landed. In my particular hospital, we African Americans, period, only make 1% of the faculty. So out of 331 faculty members at a top 10 children's hospital, only 1% are African-American. And the population for the city in which I serve, the uh, the African-American population here is about a quarter. It's 26%. I don't know specifically the child population. So you can imagine the pediatric population, I'm sorry. You can imagine these children coming in to this world-renowned hospital but barely seeing anybody that looked like, like themselves. I am the only African-American physician in the emergency department where I work. It's only a couple of African-American nurses. Um, so stark contrast to where I came from. And then I realized how comfortable I, I was and how, in some ways, sheltered, you know, uh, where I come from. I had done my medical training in Chicago, and, and there was a great community of people. Um, of professional uh, African-Americans there that I got to network with and got to network throughout the nation. Um, and then I came to basically, uh, this drought, a very huge contrast for me in, in, in my journey throughout my medical career and, uh, was not okay with it from day one and, and said, you know, you need to do something about this. This is not okay. Um, initially when you know I tried to write up initiatives in the way of like loan repayment for underrepresented minorities to help with recruitment and uh, retention in the current institution that I'm working for and two three years ago when I came and even last year it fell on deaf ears Um, and so with this new resurgence I should say of the I don't want to say appreciation there should be really appreciation for racism but the uh, awareness that it still exists, even though we had an African-American president, that wasn't enough. Um, now we have leadership that's willing to listen, and I've kind of taken the bulls by the horns and just run with it. So I see this window of opportunity, um, and so I had the opportunity to write our first uh, anti-racism statement, inspire uh, lead author and co-author with, a, with our most diverse group of physicians, ironically on our first anti-racism statement for the hospital that's been around for 130 years. Uh, I led the White Coats for Black Lives rally. Um, I read my poem. I read the anti-racism statement that we put together for the hospital. I spoke with the CEO of the hospital um, and continuing to work on initiatives. Now I have always, always throughout my life been involved with the community. From a young age, in college, I started an underserved uh, minority mentorship group to expose children in the Greater Rochester, New York area, to college. So we brought them to classes with us. We had lunch with them on campus to say, "Hey, you can be like us. You can go to college." We started there, continued in Chicago, continued in Baltimore, where I did a public health degree. I've always been a community advocate. I've always. been, you know, I've always had a heart for advocacy. I spent 10 years on Capitol Hill pushing for pediatric legislation, many aspects, and met with many Congress members, men and women, prominent men and women in Congress. Um, That has always been a desire of mine, and this has just been kind of the right place at the right time, especially in a place where there's a significant drought and where lots of work needs to be done. Well, Lots of work needs to be done everywhere, but uh, we are significantly behind here, and so now that we have ears that are listening, willing to hear, I've kind of taken the lead on a, on a lot of initiatives.
0: You mentioned um, your your talk for White Coats Black Lives event. So I was wondering if you could if you could share a little bit about you know just educate our, our listeners if they're not familiar what Black Lives um, for White Coats for Black Lives is, and your um, your upcoming memoir that's sort of based on um, some of the work. Um, that, you, that, you, that, that, you, yes, that you did Yes, so, uh,
1: so White Coats for Black Lives was a rally of physicians throughout, not even the nation, I want to say, throughout the globe to stand uh, for Black Lives Matter, to stand after the murder of George Floyd, to say we, that black lives do matter, that we need to take care of black lives um, above and beyond what we've been doing. A- as physicians, you know, increasing the workforce, as physicians, and taking care of our population, and being aware of social determinants of health, and being aware of health disparities, and not only being aware of those things, but addressing those things, and that we are going to come together as a physician workforce to battle systemic racism in medicine. Um, and so, I was honored to be able to lead the pledge in that. Um, and I wrote, I wrote a poem after the murder of George Floyd because I was really, really touched me, as, 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 to say the least, that's not the right term, but um, as, it ha- as it had the nation. And I wanted to send a message that said, I'll do whatever it is I can do for you. Will you do the same for my black children? Because I don't look at you on a superficial level. I look at you you know, with a duty and an honor to take care of you as a physician, to take care of your health. Take care of your well mental well being. To be there as a friend, to be there as a community. I'm asking you to do the same for my kids who are growing up in this um, in a society that that has systemic racism still, um, or in in the pandemic of racism. Um, and so I wrote a poem called "Will You Take Care of My Children," which, <clears throat> which um, Dr. Juge, I want to thank you. You posted uh, about literally a month ago um it will be a month in 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 a couple days um uh, on your uh website so i truly appreciate you um giving light to to this piece that was from my heart um and, and from there i have actually been working on for the past two to three years i have been working on a memoir that basically touches on how children the children that I've taken care of have influenced me as a person. You know, many of the medical books out there are phenomenal, and they talk about patients and their courage of overcoming, particularly in the ways of cancer, death, dying, um, or even doctors who become patients. That that flipped uh, perspective, right, um, on on what it's like to be a patient in our current healthcare system. Um, but few books have touched on how we, as the physicians, how our parent patients have transformed us there are there are some books out there and i wanted particularly to talk about children because they are to me the reason why i'm pediatrician is that children are so resilient they're so forgiving uh they're so open and in most cases very honest and they just want you know to be loved really you know children just want to be loved and and i'm, I'm just so privileged and honored to be a part of so many of these children's lives um over a spectrum of a decade but you know And as doctors, you know, a lot of times, or even society will will say or or think that, you know, as doctors, you know, we're doing our patients the service. But I think oftentimes we forget that our patients, in some cases, do do us more of a service than we do for them. And that's basically what this memoir is about, about, you know, these, these children who really changed my life, not even just as a physician, but as a mother, as a human being, different perspectives, and with all different kinds of ailments in all different kinds of, you know, I have, you know, talked about, you know, the first time I had to pronounce a child dead and, 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 the experience with that and the experience of, you know, dealing, working with the parents on that, or how do you work with the parents on that? Or, you know, and as a parent, you know, how heart wrenching that is. And, and, and then and children, you know, battling cancer and, and how resilient they are and, 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 how they go through these things and time, time and time again, they, they, they come back and, and they come back strong and some of them don't make it, but even within their fight, they're heroes. Um, and, and our fractured medical system in the way of health disparities and systemic racism. And I, I have a particular piece that, uh, I'll soon be releasing on medium. One of the chapters I'll be releasing called GSW, which stands for gunshot wound, which is about a 14 year old male who got shot multiple times. Um, and, uh, and survived it. But when he came to me, I did not know of that history. And he came to me after being uh, detained by the police. He came in basically in shackles with handcuffs and ankle ankle bracelets. Uh, came in with the police uh, for stomach pain after being caught, I guess, in the action of stealing a car, which is what I was told. Um, and he didn't look sick to me. And even I had to wrestle with my own prejudice of like, you know you know, there was this connotation of like, he's just trying to get out of what he, what is inevitable for him. So this is kind of our stop before he actually gets to where he's supposed to be, supposed to be going. Right. And so all these thoughts running through my mind. Um, and even I had to step back and say, no, don't get caught up in that mindset of like, he's on his way to juvenile detention. And that's kind of where he's headed. And he's been living this lifestyle, stop yourself and be a physician. And so that chapter goes on to talk about that. And that child ended up being very sick. And if I had taken to the prejudices and the implicit biases and misconceptions in my own mind, as well as the, the, the colleagues around me, including the police officers, you know, this this kid would, would be in, in a very different position today. And, and just to even think that he's just a kid, you know, and he survived. He survived multiple gunshot wounds um, to tell the story. I mean, this the, apparently, you know, the bullet went through his heart, his abdomen. He went through multiple surgeries. He was able to survive that, um, and and I met him in a in a encounter after that. So, um, just just all of the, those things that um, that change you as a human being and, and help you appreciate your job um, and who you work with so
0: oh that's that sounds amazing oh I can't wait to can't wait to to when it's available
1: available to yeah so hopefully hopefully within you know hopefully by 2021 we'll have that we'll have that sent to the publishing company still working on different aspects and and have added stuff in regards to to COVID
0: as well so it has been a pleasure to speak with you thank you very much for the work that hard work that you do and for this opportunity Thank you for listening to another episode of What Is Black podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at What Is Black. That's at W-H-A-T-I-S-B-L-K. And also sign up for our newsletter on our website at whatisblack.co. And that's W H A T I S B L A C dot And until next time.